Welcome to episode 23 of the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA, where we're going to talk about a single game from a big old franchise that I've been hounded to play for many, many days now, <laughs> and I've finally played. So Finally. Finally. So welcome to the show. I'm Jared, joined as always by Greatest Sickly podcast co-host of all time under the weather again unfortunately <laughs> due to like a hell of an infection that's like just trying to destroy her but she fights on miss anladium hello i'm a champion so this is a show where we talk about video games manga and anime and you can also have conversations we have conversations about them thank you for completely correcting my own catchphrase for this show <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's hundred percent perfect. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Anime Checkup, where you can twist at us. Yeah, oh, you can twist at us. You can twist at us, which no one is no one's gonna get that that joke. Uh, so no. I was watching, I was watching Japanese pro wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Best of the Super Juniors Day One, and like their website's in Japanese, but like they try to make it like translate into English via like Google Translate and all that stuff. And their their Twitter icon for like tweeting out about the show is like, it's in Japanese, but like when it auto translated, it just came out as twist. <laughs> and it's just like it doesn't make any sense, but okay, twist, twist, twist at us, twist at us. And I sent you pictures of wrestlers dressed up, real funny, like, and one looked like Zero Two from Zero Time to Limit. I never got that connection until you said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so surprised he looks just like him. I don't. I don't. I, yeah. I don't know. Couldn't tell you why I never, like, put two and two together there and got four, but what are you going to do? Anyways, today we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VIII, the Ocho. We're going to put four and four together and make eight. We are. We're just going to play, we're going to play Final Fantasy IV and then the sequel, and that's how we're going to get eight. Let's not do that. Did you ever play that sequel to Final Fantasy IV? No, I didn't hear good things about it, yeah, and I really like four, so. That's not surprising, I suppose. Yeah, um, I I know that we've already mentioned this uh, before on the podcast, but I have literally probably since I met you been hounding you to play Final Fantasy VIII. That is no joke. <laughs> literally no joke. It's one of my favorites. I think even before you knew me, like when we would like randomly chat when I was playing Final Fantasy games on Tumblr, mm-hmm. you would hound me to play Final Fantasy VIII. You should play Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> It's my life goal to make more people play Final Fantasy VIII. It gets a bad reputation for no good reason. And now I've played it, so I can... You have. I can talk about it. Which I guess I had played it beforehand. I kind of forgot. Like, I had the the Pizza Hut demo of it, which we, we, <laughs> we I played through, and you watched a playthrough of that with me, um, which is a uh, strange thing in and of itself. It's a disaster. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to play Final Fantasy VIII after playing that either. I mean, I didn't, so... <laughs> Clearly, it didn't work. Uh, the dialogue's bad. Renoa is just there. inexplicably there and has no dialogue ever. Even if you go talk to her, it's just like an ellipses. The, the <laughs> selfie never shows up. She's replaced with like random guard number one. Yeah. It's, and then like they cut in half like the um, the mech the time limit. the time limit for like the mech battle at the very end as well. So it's like and you can't run from yeah, it. yeah you can't run from it. You go, it goes from like thirty minutes to fifteen minutes, and it's just like. It's very weird. Also, like the transition into battle is very strange as well, because like it cuts uh-huh. out into like it's like a 
a TV flickering in and out. It's real weird. And Leviathan's there. Leviathan's there, as always. <laughs> you know. Also, like, you can draw Thundara, but it only does, like, 50 damage. Yeah, like... It's so upsetting. Like, a bunch of the enemies have, like, those secondary... Their second second tier magic skills, which they don't cast it themselves. They cast Thunder. Yeah. You can, ca- you can cast Thundara back at them. Makes no sense. It's very, it very weird. And then you can't, like, junction or do anything like that. Because the only... Ma- oh, and Squall is just there in his regular outfit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, Zell is, too, but... It's it's weird. And then there's a song in there that they don't even use in the actual game. Mm. Which the actual song they use in the game is much better. Uh, I know I've said this before, and I will say it again, and I'll probably say it again on this very same podcast. Final Fantasy VIII has the single best soundtrack of any Final Fantasy game ever. Uh, ever. Honestly, that's the, that's <laughs> the point we should start off with. Like That is the... I know that's your thing, that you talk uh-huh. about soundtracks and music, but... Wow, that soundtrack is so good. Like, there's not a bad song on. No, it. and that was like my introduction to that game from you, basically, because because <laughs> we had this idea of like we should like make a playlist of like battle themes and video games and like use that to, to use that to write to. And it's a, it's a fantastic idea. If you haven't done that, you should totally do that. It's a great idea. And, a plus, do recommend. And one of the things you recommended to me was like, okay, here's all these Final Fantasy VIII songs. You should put them in here. And I was like. <laughs> Well, I haven't played that game, so I don't know. But I went ahead and did it anyways, and it was like, holy crap, these are good tunes. They're really good. But even, like, the non-amping up songs, like the love themes and, like, the chilling out themes and all that are so good. Uh, there's, like, a lot of, like, mysterious crap is going on themes. It, they're just phenomenal. I love that soundtrack. There is literally not a bad song on it. And especially even, like, out of context, like, I was... um. Like, I was, like, getting those, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all just very good on their own without, like, even knowing, like, how they fit into the game themselves. But then, like, once you find those in the game, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, there was, yeah. there was a point at the very end of the game when it switched, like, um, to, like, the main two final boss themes. And, like, I literally mm-hmm. got chills. Because, <laughs> like, A, like, the transition from, um, I think, the first song into uh, Maybe I'm a Lion. Mm-hmm. It, like it was so smooth and well done that I was like holy crap that was like amazing it's phenomenal and then like the transition like in the final boss the actual final boss when um the extreme starts up so, like the way that it does it is just terrifying so fun fact about that uh so, huh? so I'm playing the PC version which a the steam version is kind of bad in the ways that the music is not good, so you need to mod that. No. That's the first thing you should do. Also, you should probably mod like cutscenes and all that stuff as well. There's a bunch of other stuff you can do, like in terms of, like upgrading like the graphics and all of that jazz, including like getting like actual button prompts uh, on the screen itself, which it doesn't really do a good job of since it's like based off of the PC port from back in ninety nine two thousand. But yep. uh, the song didn't really load in on time, so like oh no, so like I, well, it was weird because like I did that like. I beat the that form of the boss, and then like it, it like the camera turned to like a sideways view of Selfie and Squall because those were the only two I had up in my party at that point, and it just hung there for like a good thirty seconds, and I was like, did the game just freeze on me or something? And then eventually it kind of like caught back up with itself, but the music it was like it it showed like the boss turning into the final form, and there was like, there was no music or anything. And then eventually, like, mm-hmm. the music kicked in, but it was, like, 30 seconds into, like, the song itself, 
which was kind of a bummer and very weird, but I mean, still, that song's very good. So one of the things that I really like about The Extreme is um, it has this effect where it it will travel through from one speaker to the other. Um, it's not like a speaker jump. It I, I don't like it as much when it's a jump when you just go left, right immediately. It flows when it through goes, you. When it flows through it, it's like already the song is kind of creepy. And like when it starts with that and you're going through the final boss, I was playing it on the Vita because that's what I do. Um, and even on the Vita, it did that, that, like wave through it i was like oh man <laughs> this is so good but um and you finally know why man with a machine gun is man with a machine gun yeah but like uh going back to the extreme for a, a quick hot second like that was the way you introduced that song to me was being like you mm-hmm. should listen to this song because it does the flow through your head thing and i was like that sounds cool and i listened to it, i was like yeah wow yeah, I usually tell people, I'm like, if you listen to that song, make sure you have headphones on because it is an experience. And then I listen. Like, it, it really feels like it's messing with you. Yeah. Like, it's it's messed up. And then I listened to uh, Man with the Machine Gun finally and finally understood why that why that song is named the way it is. Yep. Um, and all the, like, battle themes are, are really good. Like, Don't Be Afraid, um... Never look back. Uh, what uh, force your way? Like they're all so freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're like I said, like the chill themes are also good. Like um, one in particular that's sticking out is the the Fisherman Horizon theme. Mm-hmm. It's really really chill. And um, <laughs> Dance with a Blam Fish is actually a fun one too. It's just all good stuff in there. Like you can listen to that soundtrack by itself without ever having played the game, and like still have a good experience with that soundtrack just on its own. Which obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna want to have like to play the game eventually, but still, it's like those are just that's just good music. It's great music. I, I honest to God, feel like that Zuamatsu was like magnum opus right there. Yeah, I think that's the best work he's ever done. I would I would probably agree with you on that. Thank you. <laughs> um but i mean even though i feel like final fantasy it has the best soundtrack i also really like the game itself like it's one of my favorite final fantasies it's a very strange one like i can understand why people i guess wouldn't (laughs) like it just because like some of the mechanics in there are weird in a way that like final fantasy doesn't really go that way in terms of Correct. like that stuff, it's kind of one of the reasons why I'd been hesitant to play that game, just because like it seemed very confusing. But like as as like I played the game and got through it, like I I kind of understood more of like how those systems work each other, even though like some of them I didn't use, let's say, because mm-hmm. I broke the game. <laughs> May- I would say maybe we should explain like how exactly you played through the game. Like I know that we just said that you did it on the Steam and all, but like explain like the the like cheat God mode that you did. So the PC version has kind of like those those bumpers. That was my phone going off, and I was like very confused. Like, what is going on there? Uh, the PC version has like those boost modes that 7 has and that 9 has. So for 8, there is like there's a button before you even get into the game where you can magic boost, and it'll it'll add 100 to all of your magic that you have currently. That's that, But you have to have a save for that, obviously. Uh, in-game, there is an assist mode that basically... 
just keeps your health up. It's kind of a god, but they basically kind of say in the game itself, like, hey, if you get hit with something that is above your HP, you're still going to die. So, like, that makes sense. And that's kind of like, that was the one time I died near, like, the very end of the game was basically because of that. Uh, there's a button you can hit to press to hit 9999 on every sin, but it's real good. Uh, I think that really counts mostly <laughs> for physical attacks. Um, like, if you use your Guardian Force attacks, those sometimes don't go fully 9999. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on magic either, because I don't remember if I ever used magic, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, there's also there's a button to level up your Guardian Forces up to 100, which you have to do basically every time you get one. It doesn't like automatically do it each time it comes into your party. Like You just have to hit that again, and it'll level up up to 100. It has all the skills and all that jazz, so you can just kind of you reap the benefits from that. And there is another one that I think basically adds more magic to your part to your party, or it basically like gives you like the proper like level of magic. So like you get like a bunch of third tier magic or something like that. It was I I'm not 100 percent sure on that one per se, but yeah, it, it basically kind of does the same things that you that I did with Seven in the PS4 version, which was based off the Steam the PC slash Steam version, where it has like those boosts in there, and then. Obviously, nine has it as well, in a similar sort of way, but some very different access. But basically, the the gist of this is, I really broke that game in a way that I could beat that game in like twenty hours. <laughs> I wasn't actually that far behind you, though. I mean, I did take like some breaks yeah. that allowed you to catch up, but yeah, like we did finish it pretty much within like a couple hours of each other. Mm -hmm. And um. So I know that the draw system is kind of like concerning to a lot of people because you have to sit there and um, if if you're playing it in a way that doesn't involve like um, card mod and that tool mod, that kind of thing, um, you have to sit there and draw magic from enemies or you have to uh, get items from enemies and then mod them into like spells essentially. Um, via your guardian forces and it can take some time um, but I thought it was interesting it was a really cool way to to kind of change up the mechanics like you said I, I can understand why it would be daunting for some people because it's really different from anything in any other Final Fantasy there's not been and there probably will never be in a Final Fantasy like this again um, because it didn't go over so well I remember you mentioned basically there was at one point you were like, I think, in a battle, but you're just like, yeah, I'm just doing this to draw stuff, and I'm gonna be here for like an hour or two just get to to get what I need. Yeah, I'm just like, mm. <laughs> it was uh, in the prison with Biggs and Wedge, um, because I could, I literally like was so overpowered at that point that I could just rock them in a few turns, um, with physical attacks, um, like I. I very rarely used magic and I think I used guardian force attacks like twice same um like I just used physical <laughs> attacks but that's because I was like super highly junctioned that said so I I spent like a, a pretty decent amount of time in that big and wedge fight in the prison um just drawing like haste and uh region and that kind of thing because I knew that they were really good for stats um so that 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 was a thing that I did a lot, but anything that was like fire, fire, um, fire, Aga, all, like all the elemental, I would just get through the, um, the menu and mod it for my guardian forces. So, 
Um, it's it takes some time to kind of figure out the system, and it's not the easiest system to figure out. And I know that like if you go on the internet and tell somebody that you actually sat there and were drawing magic from. Anyways, they'd be like, oh, you noob, you got to do this, 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 and this, and this with your card mods, and <laughs> da, da, da. Um, all right, bro, calm down, but also, like, there are other ways to play it, and it's just as fun, in my opinion. Um, and I, I don't like triple triad. I'm not good at it. I think kind of one of, like, the detriments, though, to the game is that it does hit you, like, right up front with a lot of tutorials. It does, and those can be kind of overwhelming and just get like kind of mixed up with each other that it does make that game kind of confusing in a way that the other games aren't necessarily as confusing. Right. That makes sense. Um, because the first like several parts of it are just like essentially squall getting introduced to like, Hey, these, which he shouldn't be being introduced. I know that that's because it's the actual gameplay mechanics, but if you're about to go take a field test, to become like a like legit professional mercenary, you shouldn't be getting tutorials the day of. Um, so maybe Squall's not a good student. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think Twisted says several times that he's his, he is her best student. Yeah, I think so as well. But like, I think that game, like the way it's different than everything else. So like, you can play that game in a variety of different ways. Like, there's there's a bunch of different like forum threads and reddit threads on the internet being like oh well you can do this this and this and basically just be overpowered for like three quarters of the game Mm -hmm. and you never level up so like you just play through that entire game at level one which there's actually there's a steam achievement in in this version where it's like beat the game with squall never getting past his initial level yep which is kind of it's it's real fascinating that like that's a an actual strategy for this game because like a lot of JRPGs, especially, you know, it's the traditional format of like, you know, you level up, you grind to get levels. Yep. And that's the the way you play these games. But this one is basically just like, I mean, what if we did something completely different and just shook up the entire formula of JRPGs to where like, oh, if you don't want to level, you don't have to. If you want to play this game in a completely different way, sure, why not? We have the tools available to you that you can do that. You can break this game in a variety of different ways, even without those PC version uh, boost modes enabled or anything like that. Like, It's such a strange game, just mechanically. Yeah, it's a very customizable experience in terms of, like, if you want it to be super-duper hard, it can be super-duper hard. If you want it to be, like, a cakewalk of a game, you can do that. But, um, And there are multiple ways to go about each way. Like, there... It's it's so weird how it's it's a very very customizable experience. Mileage may vary. Mileage may vary. Yeah, it's it's going to depend on like how you want to play the game and everything, or if you even like want to even bother mm-hmm. with like junctioning and the draw system and all that. Because like because like we said, like that those systems specifically are can either be a way to bring in new players or just to completely push away players because they'll just be like i don't want i don't even want to deal with this mm-hmm. no. well and i'm i'm thinking of like the very first time that i played this game when i was much much younger um i didn't sit there and do like i, I didn't sit and draw every single thing because that wasn't how i played rpgs at the time 
Um, right. So like now I'll sit there and do it. Like I don't care. I think it's fun. Yeah, you do too. And um, <laughs> but back then I was just like, all right, I'll draw what I need to and just play it, and it worked fine. I beat it. So I mean, it's it's a thing you can do. It, it's it's just a matter of how much how much you want to play it like a traditional RPG and how much you don't, and you know what 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 you care about in terms of like your stats. And it's how much time you wanted to like devote to it as well. That's true. So I'm going to tell you about a little bit of release information about this game, because there is actually a kind of a a interesting little tidbit here. Ah. Uh, it was it was released in '99, obviously uh, February 11th for the Japanese version. Uh, the American version, North America specifically, released on September 9th, 1999. Yep. 9999, aka this game went head to head with the launch of the Dreamcast. <laughs> I didn't know that. I knew that it came out nine. Which I'm imagining Sony did that on purpose. <laughs> because what better way to say fuck you to Sega than be like, you know, you could get this new system with all like those cool arcade hits, but we have the next installment in the Final Fantasy series coming out on the same day. Which one do you want to spend money on? Yeah. Just like, man. I mean, obviously Sony wouldn't. Like, that era is very cutthroat, but f*** dude. <laughs> That's just like, hey, uh, Sony's being like, uh, go f*** yourselves. Yeah. We're going to make a lot more money today than you are, <laughs> which they they probably did. I mean, the Final Fantasy seven or excuse me, Final Fantasy VIII, excuse me, uh, was the seventh best-selling PlayStation game of all time. Wow. Uh, supposedly selling at least seven million units. Deserves more deserves more but yeah like that's that's real that's real that's something Hashtag savage. yeah that's that is the main thing also i want to say though like i ended up buying a japanese copy of final fantasy 8 just because like i thought it'd be cool to have one and it was cheap uh the japanese covers of final fantasy games especially like one through nine are infinitely better than the american versions yeah i mean that's typically the case um although a lot of times they'll just use the amato art yeah like it's basically just like here's the the i the i just like the way they're like they're so simple it's basically like, it's the complete opposite of american video game marketing where it's like we have to have like this crazy cover art and make it so brash and pop out so consumers will want to buy it in japan there's like here's the logo you know what the f this is <laughs> it's final fantasy 8 you're gonna fucking buy it and it's like okay yeah I mean, um, the European version is basically kind of the same thing, but yeah, like just like it's just so simple and it's effective as well. It's like white background, logo, that art that goes with the logo, is all you need. It's all you need. And then like the American ones is like, like logo, characters, character in the background. <laughs> Gotta make it pop at you. <laughs> Even though I guess like the um. The Super Nintendo versions of like Final Fantasy two and three, aka four and six, kind of follow the same Japanese formula. Where it's uh -huh. like it's just like a background and then like the the logo. Yep. And that's it. Like there's nothing real fancy about it. Which maybe if they went like full on American crazy with it, they would those would have sold better. But Rude. that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I don't actually, like, remember a lot of people playing Final Fantasy VIII, but, like, I lived in a really small town, so I, I guess it's not right. really a good gauge. Um, my brother and I were strange individuals, I would say. Like, I, <laughs> I guess for me, like, I played it through the, the Pizza Hut demo, mm-hmm. and that was basically, I mean, I, I, I didn't play JRPGs when I was younger, obviously. Like, I, I have, I bought Final Fantasy VII. Didn't get far in disc one, and that was pretty much it. Because like I didn't, under- I didn't understand the way those games were played. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I don't really remember a lot of people, at least around my neck of the woods, playing this game. But I knew it was a big deal, obviously. But I, it was just one of those things like I completely missed the boat on. It's it's a really really good game. People should play it. Are you sure? Yes. A hundred percent, a thousand percent. I mean, it's basically everywhere now. Like, there's um, you could buy a box copy of it for the PS One. Uh, there's the Steam version that's out now. Obviously, like we said, you need to, you need to do some mods to it to make it run better and make it good. Uh, it's on PSN for PS3 um, so you can get on your you can get on your Vita, your PS Three. I wouldn't be surprised eventually if there's a remake of it or like a re-release of it on PS4 at some point. There was that rumor going around that Square was going to do like a Final Fantasy compilation of 1 through 9 and put it out on PS4. I don't think that's necessarily going to... Nothing's really been concrete about that. It was just like a very little bit of a rumor out there at the beginning of the year. So like if maybe that happens, like maybe they'll put that back out on PS4. So like that'll be another avenue for it. But I don't know, like... But either way, like, there is a lot of different ways that you can go play this game right now. And and you should. You should, definitely. 100%. 1,000%. Billion percent. 1 billion percent. 1 billion percent. 1 trillion percent. You should play Fantasy VIII. And then you can play all the triple triads that you want. No. <laughs> triple triads hard. I, I will say like one cool thing about the uh, the PC Steam version is it includes the uh, the Pocket Station game that was compatible with Final Fantasy VIII, which ah. is very strange in and of itself because you wouldn't think a Pocket Station game would be on the Steam version. You wouldn't think so, especially because that Pocket Station game never came out to America, so this is basically the only like legitimate legal way you could play that game right now. But like that's just a real cool thing that's included in the pc version um did you try it i didn't i i didn't try it actually i probably should have but like i think the thing it does like you just send out you have a chocobo you send it out and it gets you items that you can use in the game itself oh okay like it's not actually like a little like thing you can do like game wise it's kind of just like a like a tomodachi i think style of game thing but, I mean, it was a pocket station game, so that's kind of what to be expected. Yeah. So, I guess one thing that I really want us to talk about. No, we're not going to talk about that. You know what? <laughs> we are going to talk about it, because I say so, and I'm sick. Let me talk about it. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to participate, friend. Did you think I was... I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm here not to participate. <laughs> um... I want to talk about how Squall is probably the best Final Fantasy protagonist ever. 
In ways that you don't expect. In ways you do and do not expect. Um, I know that there is a literal protagonist called Butts, and that's really hard to top. <laughs> Very true. Um, actually, Butts is a good character, but Squall is really misunderstood on the internet, and it makes me really angry because he's such a great character. It's basically like everyone characterizes him as he is in disc one, where yes. he's very aloof. He doesn't. He acts like he doesn't care a lot. He says whatever a lot. Does <laughs> and like he just kind of seems like a blanket protagonist, where it's like there's not a lot to invest in him in that period of time within disc one, like for the the player to really connect with him because he's just like he doesn't really care about like what's going on around him people around him and it makes it hard for him to like to, for someone to connect with him because he's just so emotionally detached from everything else yeah and that's basically kind of like what everyone attributes to him and that's literally since this is a four dust game a quarter of like what his character actually is as it progresses to the entirety of the game right and it's so frustrating because um he's he's literally reduced to that in every media besides like the other three discs and right. like skull is so much more than that and i think that's one of the best parts about final fantasy 8 is seeing how skull has to like fight himself mm -hmm. um actually there's kind of a literal version of him having to fight himself with the whole griever fight yeah yeah um like squall is having to do a lot of i'm trying to think of the correct word that i'm looking um, he's having to look at himself and critique himself and think about like his way of life and his his. It's a lot of soul searching. He has a lot of soul searching. Um, uh, it's a lot of introspection and like, uh, I know that I I was telling you at one point that <clears throat> the one thing that is is really appreciated for me on eight is that they let Squall like have his moments of breaking down, uh, much like they did it with. Jojo and um, Battle Tendency. That, like, you have that part where Squall's, like, in his bed in his dorm and he's, like, literally breaking down, saying, like, I can do it. I, I can do it. Like, I, I've always been alone. I, I can do this. And then he, like, crawls up into, like, himself and forms into a ball. And he's like, No, I can't. I can't do yeah, this. Yeah, he, and I'm like, He goes into, like, fetal position. He does. Like, I, I think that JoJo comparison is so apt for this because those are two forms of media where, like, you expect, like, the protagonist to be, like, this very masculine, macho sort of guy. And the way they kind of, like, dress Squall especially is, like, you expect him to be, like, this lone lone wolf badass where he's just not going to take from anyone. Well, and the fact that he's literally in school to be a mercenary, like... Yeah, exactly. And, like, the more you learn about Squall, it's like, no, he has, like, so much more to him than just being, like, this stereotypical, you know, one-note 80s protagonist. <laughs> and, like, he has to go through, like, all these different emotions of, like, trying to figure out, like, if, like, what he's doing is worth it. If, like, what he's doing, to like, for himself is, like, worth, like, doing. If, like, connecting with these people is worth it. Because he thinks, like, oh, man, if I have these relationships with people, they're all going to go away eventually. And it's just meaningless. And you kind of see that happen with like what we talked about with the uh, with the JoJo episode as well, where it's like 
these characters ha- are able to have like these moments of literally breaking down and having to show emotions and it's not very typical of like what you think of these protagonists are going to be specifically when you first meet them and then once you like go along with them for the ride it's like it makes more sense that like oh we can have them show these types of emotions and let them connect more with like the the viewer the player etc and it makes way more sense and like just for a more enjoyable experience with like the game or like the show to to be able to see like these characters have like these depths of emotions right well and one thing that I think also gets kind of like thrown out the door with Squall is that Squall is like a super smart protagonist too. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a lot of good insight into things that are happening. Uh, Like when you're going to talk about the whole um, assassination plot, there's this point where he's talking about like the, the only thing that divides us between our enemy is perspective Right, And he's saying that, you know, what they think is doing is right. What we think is doing is right. Each side thinks that the other side is the bad side. And I was like, holy shit, like, that's actually really, really insightful. And this kid is 17 years old. Like, I know he's not (laughs) actually 17 because he's not real. But, like, they write him as a very intelligent character. Mm -hmm. He's just also very emotionally stinted. It's a very, also, it's an an anti-war statement as well, like, like that entire that entire phrase that he just he just said is the basis of Mobile Suit Gun of the 08th MS team because like the entire basis of that show is like hey there are good people on this side there are good people on the other side as well but there are also holes scattered throughout both of them yeah. like we're not that much different than each other why are we doing this and that's exactly like like when you mentioned that scene like that reminded me so much of that I was like it really made me like like him more especially in disc one because like you don't really get to see like his his intelligence and the way like he can like project himself in that disc in that first disc well actually one thing that um he does do extremely well and uh you see it later and um i i'm trying to remember which disc second disc um when irving has his like breakdown at the end of disc one squall right. actually does a fantastic job as a leader he's like you know all you have to do is consider this a sign like if if that's what it takes for you to to just try it then you're good it's a sign i'll handle it from there and i'm like wow man like you got this and he actually made irving like function properly and right. he almost had that shot if if it, she had not known ahead of time he would have had it it was dead on um but Squall, despite the fact that he never wants to be a leader, is a very, very good leader. And, and it coincides with, like, basically when, like, in Disc 2 and then onwards, when, like, they make him the leader of Blom Garden. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's just like, I don't really want to do this. But, like, there are times when, like, you, like, the game is basically like, okay, we need you to tell everyone else in the garden what's going on, what they need to do, and, like, what exactly is going to happen throughout this and basically like i mean you could there are goofy options in there but like you can make him just be like okay the hot dogs the hot dog gotta save the <laughs> hot dogs but basically you can just make him be like okay these people need to be here these people need to go here we're about to brace for impact get ready for that and things are about to go very bad and like he does this so well like you can tell like he's just like he's not 
I don't know if like there's an like an air of social like awkwardness with him, or if he's just like he just he's very introverted in that sort of way. But like he doesn't really like like doing all that sort of stuff, but he does it anyways. And then like later on, I think in disc three or something, uh, one of the characters makes a comment to him and is like, you know, like everyone like just enjoys having you as a leader. Like they trust you. They they know fully that like whatever you do, it's going to be the right thing. And they're behind you 100%. And it's like, it's almost amazing to like hear that because like, especially like with the way that people characterize him and the beginning of the game is like, you never expect that No, you going don't. into this game. Uh, that's, that's one thing is that, you know, they, they think of him and like all the people reduce Squall down to is essentially that scene with him and like Quistus um, at the training ground where he's like, if you want to talk to somebody, talk to a wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally what they reduce him down to, but it be- he becomes a character that everybody really relies on, and becomes a character that people really believe in. And yeah, uh, despite the fact that he does have he does have weaknesses, and he does have a lot of um, introversion. He has a lot of he has a hard time talking to people and saying the right things. Um, in terms of social situations, when it comes to like military things he's got it he can tell exactly what to do but um you know it's really disheartening to me that he gets reduced so much to like you said one disc or even like one half of a disc because he even starts growing a bit in disc one Mm -hmm. uh it's it's frustrating his his comrades really do they love him to death by the end of it and they tell him all the time like we want you around and it's like that's a that that's a main theme i think in like just two and three as well because like they kind of notice that like he's having problems and he's like he's bottling it up himself mm. and like i think pretty much like each individual person comes up to him and is like hey talk to us we're here for you we'll do like whatever we can to help you like we uh, we know like there's something going on with you and you're bottling it up but we want to be there for you and to help you and like that just shows like just how much like they they are completely on board with him and to trust him. Mm-hmm. And like it takes a while for him to kind of like come to terms with that because like he, like we said he has problems with like forming relationships with people because he like sees them as like being kind of meaningless. Like he sees that I guess people are gonna go away. Like obviously because like we get the backstory for why that is like later on in the game because like you know he's had people like leave him in his life and like he 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 definitely just has a problem with like trying to come to terms with like people sticking with him and then eventually like he kind of understands that and opens up to him them more and more and it's just like it's such a fantastic progression for that character i mean i i really really agree with you on that i i think that it's it's just like i said very very frustrating to me to see how badly portrayed skull gets by people and i think that's some reason why people don't play Final Fantasy VIII is because they see like this version of Squall that's not who he is. Right. And honestly, you... go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was, I was gonna say, like, do you think like the reason he gets such a bad rap and has like that reputation of being like the the disjointed, distant character is because like a lot of people only played through like that first disc of Final Fantasy VIII? Probably. Uh, I think that's probably a lot of it is that people didn't get all the way through. And 
I think that, um, you know, this was one of one of the first games that the story explicitly had like a romance in it. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, four had some of it, but it wasn't like the forefront of it. And six had some, but it, again, wasn't forefront. Um, seven had the option, like you chose who right. you were going to romance. Eight was straight up like you are going to have a romance in this and it's going to be a big part of the story and it's going to be a big part of character growth. For and then like nine kind of dialed that back a bit as well again. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another thing that people are thrown off by is that, um, you know, you have a game that is like overtly masculine in the sense it's weird for me to say the final fantasy is overtly masculine but stick with me overtly masculine in the sense that it's like very militaristic and there's a lot of war and there's a lot of um you know competition uh between guys and, and but then at the same time you have a game that while all that's going on oh hey we have this man at pixie dream girl who's gonna come in and also <laughs> you know, romance him and help him come out of his shell a little bit. But I also want to clarify, it's not just Renoa who gets him to come out. It's 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 basically all of your party members. Right. I I cannot stress that enough that it's not just romance that makes Squall change. It's not. It is friendship first. Um, the power actually, of friendship. It, which he even <laughs> makes fun of. He makes fun of the power of friendship thing when La Laguna was talking about it. He's like, yeah, all that kind of sucks, but they believed it, so let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but I don't think that the romance with Renoa would have happened at all if he had not opened himself up a bit more to friends. Right, yeah, totally. Cause like when 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 they are when those two were first introduced to each other, like she doesn't really like him. Uh uh So like unless he if he didn't open up, I don't think that relationship between those two would have really improved that much. Well, and actually, very quickly after they meet, she's like literally screaming at him that he's mean. Yeah. Uh, and you know, outside the TV station, which I I know I just called Renoa a man at Pixie Dream Girl, which is not too far off, but um. <laughs> Outside the TV station, yes, Renoa is a little irresponsible. Yes, Renoa doesn't have a whole lot of plans. But that scene with Squall, like, yelling at her, it it was hard. It's a hard one to watch. Um, yeah. Because he just lays into her. And so you don't immediately think, like, hmm, I wonder if they're going to date. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Because you have this guy coming from, like, you know, this militaristic background, and, he, like, he comes to help, like, these freedom fighters, essentially, is what Renoa and her group are. Yeah. And, like, he sees the way, like, they plan, and so, like, they'll, like, they'll huddle up together, like, on the ground. He's like, this is f***ing bullshit. Like, these guys have no idea, like, what to do, like, how serious this stuff is. And then, basically, he just, like, takes all that frustration out on Renoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, well, I think, isn't it Quistus who tells him, like, you took that too far? Or is it um... Selfie? I think it's Selfie. It's that sounds more like a selfie thing. Yeah, I think one of them tells you like, you you, you kind of overstepped it, man. You should you should dial it back a little bit. Um, but they really, they meet before that. But when Renoa and Squall first like really start interacting with each other, they they don't like each other. He doesn't like her, and he doesn't like the way that she does things, and she doesn't like him because she thinks he's mean. Mm-hmm. So I feel like without that growth, that that would have felt like a really rushed and bad love story. 
clearly, clearly the only reason Squall changes is because he dies at the end of disc one and is replaced by a, a, a <laughs> lookalike who looks just like him. Oh my god, the Squall is dead. This is my thread of uh, Squall's dead conspiracy. Oh my god. Um, I know that we were talking about like his, his comrades and like their trust in him. And I do want to say one last thing. I'm not sure if I have any other things to say. I might eventually. But um, I think the biggest scene to me that really, really drives it home, like how much Squall cares about his friends and how much his friends care about him, um, is the scene first at the missile base when they realize that there's there's no hope of getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Selfie says on the effect of like, why did Squall send us? And she's like, did he know this was going to happen? And then she says, wait, no, he sent us because he believed in us. He thought we could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see that Selfie realizes like, no, he, he fully believes we're capable people and he cares about us. And then when they come out of the shell of the monstrosity robot, yeah. thingy, um, and he's so excited to see him. And Renault actually calls him out and is like, you were happy to see your friends. Um, like, you see both sides of it. You see that they really believe in him. And he's he's excited that he does have people that care about him and that he can care about. So, um, you know, he, he has that abandonment issue and he has issues of people going away. So with him being reunited with his friends and realizing, like, oh, they're okay even after I sent them away. Like, I feel like that was a real big point for him Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just realizing that other people are a good thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, I I know, like, even within the party itself, like, like, Quisis, like, she, she obviously, she knows him. She's known him for a while. Like, she has, like, a trust in him. Like, the others don't, obviously, because they don't necessarily have, like, that experience with him. But I kind of feel like Selfie is, like, the the first one of, like, the outsiders who, like, kind of comes to terms with, like, who he is and, like, understands him and, like, kind of cuts through, like, a bunch of his bullshit in a way that, like, the others, like, take a little bit more time to do. I 100% agree with you. I think Selfie is the first one that really, like, breaks through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting, which I, I know I told you about this, but her um, her computer, her blog that she writes. <laughs> yeah. Depending on how you interact with Selfie, she'll change what she says. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'll talk about Squall a lot on her blog. And like what kind of things he says. And um, So I guess it makes sense because Selfie does some, kind of seem like a very open and like friendly person. They're very much like the opposites. They are. <laughs> um, but I feel like she... She was a good counterpoint, and she's one that can kind of, like you said, get through. But you do see that she is writing constantly about, like, you know, what Squall's going through and how he's interacting in her perspective. It's really, really cool. Which is something, like, a lot of games just don't do. Mm -mm. There's a lot of, like, interconnected, like, little threads in, like, in this game specifically that this game does that a lot of other games just don't do, and it's just so well done. Can we talk about how, like, so going into this game, I should probably preface, like, there was a lot of the story I didn't know. Like, I kind of knew, like, oh, there's a romance, uh, there's, a, like, a rivalry between Squall and Cypher. Other than that, I really had no idea what this game was about. I remember I asked you pretty early on, I was like, how much of this do you actually know? Like, not a lot. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
So like the first time like you have the dream sequence and you transform or you like you transfer your party to Laguna's party. Yep. I was like, what the f is going on in this game? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you become uh, Laguna, Kiros, and Ward. Who are all like three like real cool characters. Oh, they're super rad. I love those three characters. And I know that I mentioned this to you, but I want to mention it real quick. Kiros is a much better representation of people of color than Barrett was in Final Fantasy VII. So good mm -hmm. job on that, guys. You you really stepped up your game there. But yeah, like it was just like it was a thing. Like I didn't realize this game like had a separate like I guess a separate protagonist essentially. Like mm -hmm. where you see the story like, was technically of the past through Laguna's eyes yep. of like what's happening that leads up to pretty much everything that happens in the game itself. And it was it was definitely just something that just took me by surprise because I was not expecting this at all. Because I guess a lot of Final Fantasy, or at least the Final Fantasy games I've played, they don't really do this mm -mm. Like switching protagonists, and that's like something that if games do, it's very hard to do and pull off well. Which I think this game does. It does, in my opinion, it works super well. And I felt like I kind of I gave the, you the comparison of like oh. <laughs> I think at one point I was like, is this is this game trying to be like your name and like where they go to sleep and just switch bodies with each other, which not necessarily the same thing, but kind of a similar idea mm -hmm. where like the, like all these uh, seed people just go to sleep, which obviously there's a reason why they're all going to sleep and having like the same dream because yep. they're all kind of connected to each other. And like they just have this dream. They wake up as Laguna, Kiros and Ward and kind of like see like what's going on with them and like their battles and everything. And that leads up to basically what happens at the end of the game specifically. But, <laughs> but yeah, just, it, it was just very, very surprising. I was like, oh, I'm a different character now. And then obviously I know what the man with the machine gun is and what that yeah. reference is. And it's interesting um, to see the different reactions from the, the team members to, to Laguna and his party. Because like when they first wake up, it was Zell, Selfie, and Squall. And Selfie's like, I like Laguna. He's Sir Laguna. He's really great. And she thinks he's cute. <laughs> and she starts like a blog about him. And does. Um, every time you uh, read a Timber Maniacs issue, she updates it with another thing about uh, about um, Laguna, which is fascinating. Um, and then like the first reaction you get from Squall is, I dreamt I was a moron. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's useful in anchoring the story mm -hmm. in a sense that um, while they never blatantly tell you that Laguna is Squall's dad, it's... It's pretty obvious. It's very, very obvious. And um, it helps you to understand why Laguna was never there for Squall because that is part of his like abandonment issues is like, why did I not have parents? Right. Which it, it doesn't help as well. Like the PC version kind of cleans up everyone's face mm. like the in-game model so you don't get like you don't get the the best scene in the game where Renault is like you're the greatest looking guy here and Squall's face is just a pixely blurry mess it's a the PC ver <laughs> the PC version kind of fixes that but like I got that twist like very early on it was like back when uh you, you go back to Laguna early. yeah you go back to Laguna and it's when you're like when he's out of the military in the village and I was basically like when hell yeah, I was like, is he like Squall's dad or something? Because they look pretty similar. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I couldn't tell you no. Like, I don't, I didn't know how to lie through that one. 
<laughs> I, I can't do the whole like coy thing like you do. <laughs> um, like it's really, really obvious through the game that it's his dad. Uh, yeah, it's kind of just a bummer. Like the game, the PC version specifically, kind of like tips its hand a little bit too soon on that mm. specifically. Um, but yeah, like it, and then early on as well, like you, it kind of tells you like who Renoa's parents are as well. So yeah. it's like it kind of becomes like like I think it was that, and then combined with like looking at Laguna, I was like, he's probably going to be end up being Squall's dad, isn't he? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yep. Even though they don't explicitly kind of say it, but it's it's very much hinted at. I mean, the closest that you really get is um, on the Ragnarok after, um, like, before you go into Lunatic Pandora when you crash it in there. Mm-hmm. You can talk to Laguna, Kuros, and Ward. And Laguna will tell you that Alon has told him everything and that you have a lot to talk about when you get back. Which sounds like the most dad thing to say in the world. Like we have a so lot we to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Um, and then if you talk to Ward, Kiros will say that Ward is saying um, that's a good thing. You look more like your mom than your dad. And so, like clearly, it implies that he knows who his mom and his dad both are. Right. Um. Which I would disagree with. Looking at Rain and Laguna, he definitely favors Laguna. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then there was another thing that said, but anyway, like you talk to the three of them, and they're basically like, "Ah, he's your dad." <laughs> Even though, like, you never get that talk in the game itself, but it's like, that's like, that's just like the hint you need to be like, okay, well, that's that mystery done. And like, I guess a lot of like the the plot twists in this game specifically are kind of like, they're not necessarily like mind bending or like super in depth that like they're gonna like shock you out of your seat or something like that, like. They're just kind of there to be there. But this game, I don't really think, needs, like, excessive or elaborate plot twists specifically because that's just not the way the story is. I mean, I think the biggest plot twist is the fact that there's, like, this weird slug guy under garden that they never address again. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's just, like, a weird, like, you know, plot hole where it's, like, (laughs) oh, there's this guy who bankrolled the entire garden and basically is in charge of it and is leading this kind of, like, civil dispute between the garden people and Sid, the headmaster headmaster. I was gonna say president. I was like, that doesn't sound right. And then like you go down into the basement and defeat this blob thing. And then they never say anything again. Like you <laughs> go talk to talk about it. You go talk to Sid and he's just like, I don't want to talk about it. And that's it. That's the, and I was like, why don't they address this again? That's real weird. <laughs> Can you imagine like they go down a year later and there's like this weird slug corpse just rotting down there. Uh, I would hope they like they clean like he, Squall was just like the to like the garden people like you better clean this up. Yeah. Um, also like those garden people scripts. kind of like just disappear afterwards. <laughs> like, it was like Squall just like hey get the fuck off the ship. Yeah, maybe he just kicks them off because like yeah you guys suck you're not loyal. Yeah, that's like just one of the weird things that the game kind of like just drops all of a sudden. It drops onto you and then just kind of like. Bye. Let's just forget about that happened. Never mind. That never happened. Um, but you do have the the plot twist that gets made fun of a lot of the whole fact that um, there's memory loss because of the Guardian forces and everybody knew each other as kids. Yeah. Which I'm not too offended by that plot twist like everybody else seems to be. Like, I don't understand why that's such a bad thing. Uh, yeah. It, it's interesting to me because we talked about this before we went on that... Um, it, it makes 
there it makes it so there's some kind of penalty for them having like this hugely magical power that they're using to fight wars. Um, because you can't just junction a guardian force and expect nothing to happen. And I think it kind of just makes sense as well. It's like you know they have like they just have like those powers kind of like just off the bat. And everyone can use them because, you know, for most Final Fantasy games, it's like, oh, well, the sorcerer needs to do this or like this excessive magic user is the only one who can summon things. And this is just like, F- it, everyone can summon things. Why not? Everybody can, can use have, magic. You can have three of them for, for no <laughs> reason. Why not? So, like, I think the idea of like, oh, like, well, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, essentially, where, you know, you can have like this enormous power this crazy kind of skills that they give you but there's a consequence to having that i think it would also speak pretty well to the whole like you were saying there's there's kind of an anti-war message um right i think that the whole like plot twist of like losing memories and um i know that i told you this but to me, it's kind of metaphorical for it's a metaphor for um, the sense that these kids are put into a mercenary training academy. Essentially, they they're raised to go to war. Right. So not only are they actually losing their childhoods because they're not actually having a a proper childhood by being put into a military academy but they're also mentally losing their childhoods because any memory of before that it's gone yeah um so i think that that's a, a pretty good way in my opinion to look at it is not necessarily just like the practical sense of it but also like what it means so that's my opinion anyway, is it, that it's kind of a whole like testament of them losing losing their childhoods by having to be in a perpetual state of war their entire yeah, like, lives. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, so I like that twist. and um, it, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's like terrible or anything. Like It's just like, you know, here's the thing to understand why they didn't remember each other. Yeah, and people like, okay, hate it. Sure. I mean... It's, no surprise, obviously. <laughs> I guess what else would be a plot twist in there? I guess Idea being their their matron is a big plot yeah. twist. And being married to Sid. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's necessarily like a big one. No. I know a lot of people are like, it's just thrown out of nowhere. I'm like, eh. I don't know if it's really thrown out of nowhere. It, it, it makes sense. I, I feel like time traveling sorceress who comes to the past and possesses <laughs> everyone is a little bit more of a bigger plot twist in my opinion that one is a really big plot twist that's yeah um, kind of goofy space space was yeah. a pretty big plot twist which space i know that we mentioned last week when we were talking that um there were two things that i had talked about that you were trying to figure out one of them was space um, because Space. I mentioned the TV station, how there was like words broadcast outside. And I was like, you should pay attention to what those words are saying. And so the whole time you're like, Hmm, I wonder what that's going to be. And then once you got to space and you met Adele, you're like, aha, it's Adele. Aha. She says, hello from space instead of the other <laughs> side. She's like, what's up? I'm, I'm still out here in space, yo. I'm alive. How's it hanging? Never let you forget me. 
I guess one of the things I was thinking that was going to be was it was going to be like Laguna. Mm-hmm. Or or like the Julia, the girl he was trying to, to mac on. Yeah. To mac on. So like I thought it might be like one of them two, but then like it was just like, oh, it's the sorceress out in space. Just chilling. Being like, hey, what's up, everyone? I'm still here. Because she's actually blocking all the... She's the reason why they haven't been able to broadcast. Right. So she's like, I'm just going to broadcast my own stuff. Here's some Pro words. Pro tip, don't send the sorceress out to space. She'll block all your stuff. I mean, Laguna did his best. <laughs> he also, like, He somehow, tried to curse her. He, he lucked into becoming president yeah. of an he entire just... country. <laughs> They're just like, oh, I mean, do you want to be president? Sure, why not? Happen. He Laguna is my favorite character, hands down, period, end of story. Laguna is great because he's such a goofy guy. And he's like the polar opposite. Like, I, I feel like if Selfie were a guy, she'd be Laguna. <laughs> it's especially funny as well because like when you um when you meet him in the present time. He looks like the typical cool dad guy, <laughs> like does. with his his kind of half button shirt and khakis. He's like, hey, He's a, what up, guys? He looks like he just got like back from surfing, <laughs> or like a Jimmy Buffett concert. <laughs> I guarantee you, he's wearing sandals. Oh, a hundred percent. And like Kuros and Ward are wearing like official regular outfits, and he's just like, what up, guys? I'm here. I'm the president. <laughs> How you doing? God. And Squall's like, you were an idiot. You were an... He like straight up says to his face that he didn't like him. And Laguna's just like, eh, what are you going to do? Shrug shoulders. (laughs) He's like, you can't please everybody. (laughs) I love Laguna so much. I like how that's like the first thing like your son says to you after like, probably what almost his entire lifetime Laguna away has literally never met him until okay in 17 years essentially and he's like you're an idiot and yeah. he's like eh, eh, what, what can you do whatevs <laughs> sorry you literally have to understand like laguna has never met squall he never knew that he had him <laughs> like this is his his child his only <laughs> child and the kid comes up to him the first time in 17 years like you're dumb <laughs> this rib dunks on him he does and god it's so funny but I, I you know I, I honest to god don't feel like they would have a good father son relationship even after they like come to terms with it I feel like Laguna would try really hard and Squall would just be like no no you're dumb leave me alone <laughs> I, I, mean, I think a Squall would tr- would at least be nice enough to him, but he still would basically be like, you're an idiot. Stop. Yeah. I feel like Renoa and Laguna would be, they'd get along. <laughs> and they would just like dunk on Squall constantly. <laughs> I feel like that would be the relationship of that family, that dynamic. 100%. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Laguna's president accidentally. He accidentally led a revolution. Whoops. I hate when that happens. Just accidentally, like, oh, I'm the leader of this revolution now. Whoops. Yeah. All because you helped uh, Moomba. Mm. That was another reason that I think you probably... Susar- Suspected? I know, 
suspected. I know that you said that before you knew that it was his dad, but I think you probably confirmed it when the Moombas were calling him Laguna in the prison. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's weird. Is that, it's like, is that just what they say? Laguna? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... It's it's told I can't remember I think it's in the tutor- tutorial menu that Moombas actually can identify people by their blood, so they'll lick your blood. Don't and lick so, your blood. Yeah, but since Squall was bleeding because of all the torture, they licked the blood and they thought he was Laguna because he's his son. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, but they recognized like the blood type and everything, so it was like, huh, alrighty then. That's why they yell Laguna, 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 Laguna. Right after he's been crucified. Yeah, well, whoops. Cypher has problems. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Which, actually, we should talk about Cypher. Do you want to talk about Cypher? No. Aww. (laughs) How he he becomes, like, bratty, disheveled, dude over the course of the entire game doesn't change his coat just goes very ratty and everything i love though that they actually change his character model to like reflect his state of mind it's real smart um that like as the game goes on and things are happening um i mean i guess he technically kind of i don't know if he died but um he was close to it when Renoa, Ultimicia as Renoa whispered in his ear to go get Lunatic Pandora and then he rises up at the end of the second disc. Right. Um, anyway, he becomes unhinged. A little bit. <laughs> he he calls himself at one point a young revolutionary, which, okay. Um, but it's great to me that you see that and that, like you said, his coat, the edges of it become very ratty and torn and uh his hair actually becomes ungelled so you see like his state of mind is completely deteriorating via his character model and i thought that was really fascinating he's he's a great foil um to to squall because i know that they're rivals but i also feel a sense that they were somewhat friends like i don't think that they were like real good friends but the fact that they were one training, two, Cypher does seem to have somewhat of a sense of respect for him that like he doesn't show to Zell. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel that as well? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that because like he kind of like Cypher just basically dismisses Zell as like this like you know brash kid who kind of doesn't really know what he's doing. And but with Squall, he's like, okay, I know exactly what this guy is going to do, what he's capable of, so I can know. If we go into battle, like he's gonna, know, he's gonna be able to do what needs to be done. Right. Um. So I feel like it's a weird friendship, but I feel like that is like, I feel, unfortunately, that's one of Squall's only friends going into this game. I, I mean, it may not be necessarily just friendship; it may just be like respect yeah, between the two. It might be. Um. And you know, they have. Uh, one of the things that is always mentioned when people talk about Cypher and Squall is that they're like literally mirror opposites of each other um, in terms of Squall having brown hair, Cypher having blonde. Um, their scars are mirrored to each other. Squall has a rounded chin, Cypher has a square jaw. Like, And then... Um, Squall wears mostly black with white, and then Cypher wears, like, white. 
So like they're literally meant to mirror each other. Mm-hmm. It's really, really fascinating how that that's done in terms of design. And also kind of like goes against like the whole notion of like, you know, the guy in white is the good guy and the guy in black's the bad guy. Yeah, it totally does. Well, and also, um, you know, when Renoa comes in and is like, yeah, I used to used to date him and I think it was love. And you're like, huh, maybe there's something more to Cypher that we're not seeing. Which kind of, I think you kind of see that more towards like the at the very, very, very end of the game. Very end. In the, the final cutscene. Um, I know that I mentioned it to you and um, actually I'm not even going to talk about it because it'll be spoilers. If you want to know about my comparisons of Persona 5 and Final Fantasy 8, tweet at me and I'll tell you. Um, but anyway, the end of it, you do see Cypher like forgiving and letting go and he's smiling as the garden flies over and he does have his two friends again and throughout that game he has um the two friends that are just like undyingly loyal to him and i think that's that says a lot to a character that like even though they know at one point like he's unhinged they're like he's our friend which is kind of like it's 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 the opposite of what squall has at the beginning because because cypher has ration and fusion like at the very beginning and like they stick with him throughout the entirety of it, but then kind of back away at the end while like for Squall, like he doesn't really have that, but over the course of the game, he gets that towards the end. Yeah. But the one thing that I think is interesting um, about Cypher is that um, his two friends, and I'll never say their name right. So you're going to have to say them for me. Fujin and Rajin. Sure. We'll go with that. Is that right? Uh, I mean, if we were talking like in specific, like if they were these are, I mean, these are kind of Japanese names. Like they are, be like Raijin. 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 I don't those, know. That that would be the more dudes. Japanese pronunciation of it. Um. They they question him throughout, even though they say like we're sticking with him, we're on his side. There are several times that they're like, "Can you stop him? Can you do? Can you make him reconsider this?" And so that's really interesting to me. And then you actually get the first real sentence out of her. That that was like holy crap! Like <laughs> you want to talk about plot twist? That was the plot twist because like Fujin is basically like I, very one worded is the literal basically tense of that because like she will like yell things. She'll yell like, one word at you. It's like yeah, like a lot of like emotions or just like things that she just wants to say. And then Raisin, Raisin, whatever you want to call him. Uh, will basically kind of like translate for her. <laughs> and then like at the end like when like those two basically kind of see like what Cypher has become like near the very very end of the game and they're basically just like nah we're done and, like <laughs> she like yells something at him and then basically just starts like kind of like monologuing monologuing it's almost like her breaking down essentially mm-hmm. and like kind of telling him like look like we can't we've tried to be there for you but like we we can't help you anymore like we have to go and it's like holy shit. And you know it's interesting um that Raijin, Raijin, uh he he kind of reminds me a lot of Waka. Hmm. You know he he kind of has that without like, the casual racism. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think Waka's casual racism. He's just flat out racist. Yeah. Um but you know they have kind of the same like speaking pattern. Mhm. So that that was interesting for me when I was replaying this. I was like, huh. 
it seems interesting that those kind of characters would be similar, but uh, that's just a side. I, that's one thing, though, about Final Fantasy VIII is that there are a lot of side characters that are actually really, really good characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these two are two of them. They're really good characters, even though like you don't get a whole lot out of them. What you do get, it means a lot. Yeah, like the times you do run into them, it's very, excuse me, it's very meaningful. Yeah. Um, same with Sid, even though like Sid can kind of be a jerk um, and he's very irresponsible considering the fact that he's leading a military academy. And then kind of just like goes away like <laughs> basically halfway through the game. And leaves a 17-year-old in charge who's just now become a mercenary like not even a few days ago. I mean, it might have been the better option, honestly. It is a better option because it's <laughs> clearly not capable of it. Yeah. But um, I know that, that some people will attribute that to the whole Squall is dead theory that that Sid's like, oh, it's time for you to lead instead of like Wissus or uh, Zoo or whatever. But pff, that theory's Hashtag dumb. Squall is dead. I hate the Squall is dead theory. It's, <laughs> it's so, so dumb. It it makes no sense. Like, every time I see somebody say Squall is dead, I'm like, all right, I hate you immediately. Or that Renoa is Ultimecia. I'm like, no, no. Where are you guys getting this? It makes no sense. None. Zero. <laughs> Just let me have my... my my anti-war, weird mercenary school children love story. Let me have it without it being like your I'm going to turn Rugrats into a grim dark story type nonsense. <laughs> I'm trying to pull all this. <laughs> God. <sighs> but yeah, like that, that theory is real dumb. It is. Um, I actually made you read through both of them. <sighs> you did. Because I'm a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> I got all the way up to where they were like in the Squall is Dead theory. We're like, yeah, Eyes on Me is a terrible song. It's like, nope. Ugh. That's it. Your Eyes theory is, is completely discredited. Did you know that that was half written by a woman? I was very surprised. I think I read that, yeah. Because it came off as very, very sexist. Um, because there are several times that they mentioned through the Squall is Dead theory um, main page, like how female fans like this and female fans like that. And it's like, all right, we get it. You're not like other girls. Um <sighs> But it, it bothers me that, that that's one thing that seems to be attributed to this is that it's like a feminized version of a Final Fantasy because like it has the love story. It's like guys fall in love too. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just chop down trees and fight people. Yep. That's all men do. Carry big old swords. <sighs> like I don't I... understand why like any kind of love story and again I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. This game is not just a love story, but I don't understand why that automatically makes it more driven towards females. And I don't even like the word females. I think that's a really scientific word, but that's what they use. So, I mean, I was in. I was wanted to play this game because they had the romance option. So, and it's I, mean, I was good. I was in it for the basic. Jojo. <laughs> it's fine. I, I mean, that's one thing that I really, really hate is like how people think that romance is gendered. And I'm like, what? Right. Um, okay. Because it's not. 
romance is not gendered at all. <sighs> People are dumb. They are. Um, but I, I really do like the romance in this one. Um, I like that they start off absolutely hating each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very fun. But I think you're right. I think that Selfie breaks him down way more than Renoa does. Uh, Renoa just kind of benefits from it. <laughs> She's the first step to getting him to like kind of open up, and then everyone else like opens the floodgates. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's 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 really fascinating to me that you know he, he realizes at one point like everybody's trying to get him and Renoa together. Yeah. Um, so like he knows that this is a thing that's happening and he clearly has to know that Renoa has feelings for him, but then like, I'm trying to remember exactly what part of the game it is that it has to be during her coma stage, right? Where he, like the screen goes to black and you get like his dialogue of like, Renoa, give me a second chance. It's, I think that's it. I think it's like right before he decides that he's gonna like throw her over his shoulders and take her to the to Esther. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which speaking of him walking with Renoa on his back and like having his like dialogue to himself is heartbreaking. That is such a hard scene to watch. Like it's super intense. It's sweet, sweet and it also like is candy. a big part of like showing Squall like not being afraid to show his emotions, even though it's literally to like a shell of a person at that point. Mm -hmm. But he tells her and then he's like, that's a secret. You can't tell anybody. And I think that's really, really cute. (laughs) So, um, and then, you know, later you have the whole, um, like space scene where he has to, (laughs) which you let her die in space. No, 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 no. I only messed that up because I I somehow missed the instructions the first time and didn't know what I was supposed to do. And she just kind of flew right by me. And then the game just comes up like, Renoa was lost to space forever. I was like, that's real morbid. Thanks. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Watched her float on by. You did. You let her die. And then I read the instructions the next time. I was like, oh, okay. I know what to do now. Yeah, you have to catch her. Um, but that's that's an intense, like, emotional scene of him, like, going through with Alon and trying to, like, figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. And then him realizing, like, I have to get her. I have to save her. Because he sees what she's going through technically in the past. Um, I think it's, like, a few seconds delay. Right. But um, he's he realizes, like, I got to go. I got to go. And I know a lot of people get mad at Squall for this, um, but I can kind of understand why he did it. But um, he catches her, and like it's big romantic scene and all that jazz. Then they get to Ragnarok, and she's like, "Okay, you can hug me now because the spacesuits are in the way." And he's like, "Yeah, no, we're not gonna do that." But you also have to realize, like. Squall's not going to completely change everything about like how right. he accepts people and everything overnight. Like he's not gonna be like, okay, time to cuddle. Let's do this. Like he he's still having a hard time. For one, he almost lost her, thinking that like 
you know, this is the one person that he actually has cared about in a long time. Uh, and she's going to be gone too. What am I going to do? So he, he's, uh, probably still having some kind of like weird flashbacks on that. And two, like, he's not going to just automatically become like a touchy feely person. He's just not like that. <laughs> that said, um, in the cockpit, when you have eyes on me playing and everything, and he does say several times, like, you should go over there. You'd be more comfortable. It'd be safer if you have your seatbelt on. Da, 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 da. Like you, <laughs> he sounds you like see, a dad. He does sound like a dad. Um, and you see him still having that emotional distance. And then, like, when he realizes that she's having a hard time because she thinks that they're not going to be able to be together and she's not going to see her friends anymore, he gets out of his seat and hugs her. So you see Squall like realize at a certain point, like, okay, I have to be able to show some kind of like compassion here. Mm -hmm. So people give him all the time for not hugging her when they get into the spaceship, but he hugs her when it matters. He's not going to turn to a hugger overnight. Just has to take a little bit, a little bit of time. Right. And then he hugs her again when he saves her from the, the memorial. Yeah. Um, and he even touches her hair. <laughs> it's so cute I can't tell you how many times I've cried watching that scene um, I also can't tell you how many times I've actually beat Final Fantasy 8 because it's a lot 33 it's a lot <laughs> we'll put it this way I have three files on my Vita alone um, and 30 elsewhere I would say I've got my PS1 version that I play so I played it all and I played it on PC as well so everywhere, I've uh, I played a lot of Final Fantasy VIII, and I've probably <laughs> cried every time at that Sorceress Memorial area scene. Like, Would not be surprised. <laughs> it's it's a hard scene. Like it it gets me, and then like immediately after you go to Adia's house and you have the whole like flower scene. And he's like, "I'll be your knight." I'm like, mm. <laughs> <sighs> "Hook, line, scene. sinker." It makes me emotional. Uh, and also, I realized I, it wasn't too many playthroughs ago. Maybe last year when I was playing, I realized that they completely spoil like everything about the ending and the intro if you know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's out of context, obviously. But... It's all out of context. I was like, man, they really spoil all of it. All of it. Uh, I guess Whoops. they don't spoil the whole like Ultimecia and Edea thing, but they spoil the romance. And what the, like, I'll meet you here, why type stuff means. Well, I mean, like, they, they kind of, like, hit you over the head with, like, the romance stuff, I think, was, like, just in how they marketed that game, too. So, yeah, it's not really that surprising, I would say. Yeah. Like you said, it was the first Final Fantasy game where it was, like, a really big focus of the story. Right. Um, And, I mean, I ain't even mad. I love romance. Give it to me. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> um... You know, all these, these militaristic themes, I'm in. I'm into that, too. I like it. Um, I like Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII, it good. It good. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you've put it up there on your ranking now. Uh, yeah. The top five. Okay, here we go. The official top five best Final Fantasy games of all time of, of the ones I played. By Jared. By Jared. A.K.A. the best list you'll ever find. A.K.A. 
What up, Game Informer, a.k.a. <laughs> Better than Game Informer. The only list you'll ever need in your life. Play only these Final Fantasy games. Let's hear oh. it. I'm trying to remember now which which order I went through. Number five. Number five. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four. Final Fantasy Seven. Number three. Final Fantasy Ten Two. Number two. Final Fantasy Nine. Number one. Final Fantasy Eight. See, it's a good thing I made you play it. Mm-hmm. I just had to hound you for like a year and a half. <laughs> you did. And I think at one point, like, didn't my brother also like through me tell you to play it? Yes, that is a hundred percent accurate. That totally <laughs> happened. Cause like, I don't. I guess like you were listening to one of our episodes or something, or talking about it or something. Like you texted me, he's like, "Yeah, my brother said you should play Final Fantasy VIII as well." And I was like, "Well, great." <laughs> Getting hounded by all size now. <laughs> Keller loves Final Fantasy VIII. It's a great game. It's a really good game. It's a really, really good game. It's in my top five as well. I honestly couldn't give you a definitive top five at the moment because uh, you kind of had me have a crisis the other day. So I did. Because <laughs> um, we talked about this and you were like, I think you placed you... Our, our twos were switched. Yeah. Or something like that. I, at that time, I had still like nine and um, eight switched. And I was I, like, are, "Are you sure about that?" <laughs> I'm I'm having a crisis, man. Because um, I think the one thing that would make nine better in my eyes is um, that I I did like the combat system better. I mean, yeah, I would agree with you. But even then, like. Look at the way I played this game. Like the story better in eight. Yeah. Like the way I played this game, it, it turned more into like an action game than an RPG. Yeah. And still, it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. All right. So Controversial might, opinions. It it might be eight then nine because I really do like the story better. And just like, dude, how many times have you played Final Fantasy eight compared to Final Fantasy nine? I've played it way more. I mean, a way, way more. I feel like that's more of an argument to saying, like, hey, eight's the better game for you. Yeah. Or I think more so. your favorite. I think so, because I've gone back to play eight way more than I've played any other Final Fantasy. And you've you've literally talked about that game more to me than any other Final Fantasy. <laughs> no joke on nothing. I love everybody in eight. Like I love eight's story. I love all the characters. I literally don't think there's a bad character in there. Right. Even the ones that are, like, annoying specifically, I guess, like Zell. I like Zell. Yeah. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's excitable. Um, <laughs> a little bit. Like, I know Irvine gets kind of crap because he's, he's somewhat of a womanizer. But I also think that he's, like, <laughs> I don't know, he's charming in a way. He's got a cowboy hat. Come on. Cowboy. Don't you dare. <laughs> I love that we came up with soundtracks for all these people based off of music of 1999. God, yes. That was really good. That was the <clears> best <throat> thing. <laughs> I I just, I can't get over the fact that you're like, you know what Squall would have in his Discman? The Discman. I know, I know. I know this is what it's called, but... 
<laughs> it's so dumb. I mean, obviously it would be a Sony product because Sony backed the <laughs> this game. So. Oh, I know they did. I know they did. But it was just... When, someone, when... Need, someone needs to redraw the Joseph uh, scene from the end of part two of JoJo where he says, boy, I do love those Walkmen and just make it squall and have a Discman. Oh, boy, I love those Discman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am bummed that you didn't really get to see the dischanged screens. Yeah. Because um, I get those in the Vita, but I have to like literally press the button and change the disc. For me, it just it just goes straight to like the save screen. It's like, well, time to save. And then, like, it, when you look at the save screen, it's like, well, just three or just four or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you miss that. But, I mean, it's it's in the Japanese manual, so I did get to see it that way. At least the Japanese version of it. It's just a little bit different than the uh, the American version, but it still. Is different. I love that it's Squall's computer. I think that's a really clever way, yeah. to, way to do it. Um, it's got the Discman there. It does. It does. Um, essentially, guys... Squall would be listening to the best Savage Garden song. <laughs> I literally found that in that list of uh, like top songs from 1999. And like, what was the first one I gave you? The first one I gave All you was All Star by Smash Mouth, because of course, why wouldn't I? And then I saw the animal song by Savage Garden. I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, he'd be listening to the best Savage Garden song, period. I don't fight me. <laughs> he does want to be animal. He, he wants to be a lion. Exactly. It not only is it a it's a joke because Al loves that song to death, <laughs> but I also do. it fits. Um, I also said that like Renoa would be into um, "Kiss Me" by Sixpence None the Richer. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I had we had some other ones too, but I don't remember what they were. You know, what? I think Zell would probably listen to All Star. I 100% believe yeah, he listens yeah. to Smash Mouth. Yep, 100%. Yeah, he'd be into Smash Mouth. Um, God. What a good game, though. What a good game. It's yeah, very good game. Even though 100%. Squall drinks out of his eyeball. You know. You know. Irvine's song could be Cowboy for Kid Rock because a single was released in '99. <laughs> I thought that's what you were implying when you started singing that. No, but I I didn't I didn't know if that that the like the single of that came out in ninety nine, but it totally did. Don't make me dislike Irvine because I really <laughs> like him. I love the best thing about Irvine is when they introduce him is like he's the sharpshooter marksman sniper. <laughs> he's got a shotgun. And he comes out with like a sawed off shotgun, like, Hey what's up, ladies? I'm a sniper. <laughs> pew pew. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the only time you see him with a sniper in the entire game is during the scene when he's supposed to snipe a Dia. Um, yep. Otherwise, he has a shotgun of some sort. The sniper, the marksman. Yeah, he's he's a sharpshooter. You think that like if he had that status of like the best sharpshooter in Galbadia, he'd probably carry around a sniper instead or of or not a shotgun. Uh like, I feel like it's extremely uh, extremely difficult to be accurate with a shotgun in terms of sharpshooting. Yep. But that's just me. My voice is giving out. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is something we feared would happen. It is something we feared would happen. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can definitely hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, one thing we should mention before we wrap up, um, which is this is something you brought to my attention literally moments before we started recording, 
there was a Final Fantasy VIII tech demo for the PS2. There was. Which was like the uh, the dance scene between Squall and Riona, and like. Did you just call her Riona? I did. Renoa, excuse me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I didn't. I was hoping you didn't catch that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I never knew this was a thing until literally moments ago before we started recording, and it's real weird. Like it's basically. It's like you said, like, it doesn't really look that much different compared to the CG in uh, the game itself. Like, it look, it's it flows a little bit better. Like, the background's a little bit uh, nicer. And it seems specifically more that it's, it was a Japanese-only tech demo. Because I don't remember seeing it really any in any terms of, like, tech demos that focused on the PS2 itself. And, like, also, like, it was, like, it was released basically in the same year that the game came out in 99. Which, obviously, yeah. was a year before the PS2 came out in Japan and everyone else. But, real weird. To say the least. Yeah, but it's interesting that, um, you know, Final Fantasy VII has been kind of their focus of, like, the tech demo stuff. Like, people people really, really want to know about Final Fantasy VII. So it's interesting that the PS2 one, they decided to do Final Fantasy VIII. Right. Because um, the, the, the VII one doesn't come around until the PS3. PS3. Which, I mean, obviously, like, that, that was a good kind of, like, re- representation of, like, what the PS3 could do. Didn't help, you know fan the flames of like wanting a final fantasy 7 remake or anything let's just say that say that that kind of like basically fueled it essentially yep. for the next 10 years but yeah like it, it is strange like that was the game they used but i mean maybe like i guess perhaps back then like 7 wasn't necessarily like, the cultural icon that it is today correct like it, it was still like only like two years into its existence and like it, it would just been then it was like oh this is this, it's a really good game and obviously with 8, they're probably like, hey, we could probably like do a little bit of advertising for 8 while we do this tech demo. Which is a better game. It is. <laughs> the science agrees. Yep, we are science. We are we science. Think we think that it is. It the is ranking better. of Final Fantasy. Oh, I love Final Fantasy 8. You guys, very... stop hating on Final Fantasy 8. <laughs> stop hating on school. Play the game. Listen, Listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> Love Final Fantasy VIII, guys, because it's a great, 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 great game. Great. Great. I really hope, like, um, in two years when the 20th anniversary of this game comes out, they do, like, another retrospective with the team like they did for Seven. Oh, I hope so, too. I really, really do. Because there's, there's a lot of things, I think, in this game that would be real interesting to, like, find out, like, what the team was thinking of. Like, why the change from this to... From, the, from Seven to this... And it's, like, all the mechanics in it. Also, like, um, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. <laughs> so I talk real slow. <laughs> um, the director of this game. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize, like, the director was basically the same director that was on 6, Chrono Trigger, 7, and then eight, yep. like that's a hell of a catalog of games to have. Like, yeah, I directed these four games. Like, yeah, what's can up? you imagine that's your resume? Like, yeah, I'm son. It's like, yeah, it's jeez, jeez. Um, but all, then also he did write. He was a scenario writer for ten, which is like mm, does kind of lower it a bit. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> in my opinion, but I know I'm just kidding. I uh, yeah, like it's just like. Bam, 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 bam. Like, that's four games in a row that, like, are, well, yeah, that are just lauded 
for like being just so well. And it's like, hey, yeah, I did this, and then I was like, no, I'm done. I'm good. But these <laughs> these these young kids get in there. And then now we've seen what Final Fantasy has become. Yeah, you go from Sakaguchi to he hands the torch to Kitase, who does you know six Chrono Trigger seven and eight, and then it just kind of and nine was good, and then. 10, 10, 2, and then it just falls apart from there. Yep. Just and directly into the trash can. Yep. <sighs> Get dunked on. 10, 2 was the last good Final Fantasy game. Hard hitting facts right there. Sure. Stop sleeping on good Final Fantasy games, guys. I mean, though, the rhythm games were pretty good. If you want to count those as Final Fantasy games. <laughs> I'm not going to count those as Final Fantasy games. But they're like, they're really good games. I'm not going to count those as Final Fantasy games. What if we counted those as Final Fantasy games? That's like counting Dissidia as Final Fantasy games. What if we count Dissidia as a Final Fantasy game? We're not counting Dissidia as a Final Fantasy game. And I should I, I, I want to play Dissidia just because it sounds so f***ing dumb. They made Squall into a one-handed swordsman. And he's also like a skinny mini. Skinny mini. <laughs> Have you seen him? He's like a toothpick. And I'm like, no. look like that. Like, Squall literally now in Dissidia, he looks like a J-pop star. <laughs> 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 and I think Squall from Final Fantasy VIII would hate himself if he saw that. Yeah, I would 100% agree. He looks like he diets all the time. <laughs> Oh jeez. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's disappointing, and also he did not fight one-handed Square Enix. He didn't. He didn't. He fought with both hands. You know who fought with one hand? Cipher. If you want Cipher in your game? Put Cipher in your game, guys. It's like if you paid attention to the the game you were trying to rip from, you would understand that. But nope. So I do not count Dissidia and I do not count rhythm games. But the rhythm games, the rhythm games are very good. Last good Final Fantasy was 10-2. I still want to go back and play 12. Because I remember I, in my weird JRPG disliking phase, I liked 12. But then everyone since then basically hates 12. So I just like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't eh. like 12 when I came out. So who knows? Shrug shoulders. Shrug shoulders. Final Fantasy VIII, VIII though. Yeah. Very good, very good video game. If I had more than two thumbs, I would also put them up. <laughs> but I only have two, so that's all I can give it. Nine thumbs, straight up. If I had nine thumbs, I would give it nine thumbs. I mean, what other game was in the first Charlie's Angels movie? None. It was Final Fantasy VIII iconic <laughs> wow um wow iconic iconic it's why got, is there a final fantasy VIII timeline it's got a cute love story it's got a great story story it's got great everything, everything. and a lot 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 happens and laguna is best character yes and Laguna also is cool dad. Cool dad. Play Final Fantasy VIII. Yes. Especially just because, like, you know. We said so. A, we said so. 
B, you can play it any any way you like. Like yeah. if you want to take it seriously and do all the draw stuff, junction stuff, you can. You want to be like me and just play the game as broken as humanly possible and just like skirt or for just like kind of Yeah, just play it for the story and power through it. You can 100% totally do that. And it's like like I would recommend it. Yeah, it's a, I would it's too. still a, it's still a fun way and an enjoyable way to get the experience of that game and to have fun with it. 100%. Makes it more of an, an action game. It's kind of weird. Play Final Fantasy VIII. Play Final Fantasy VIII. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Don't play the demo. Don't play the demo. That was bad. <laughs> it's that was weird. Really bad. You're not ever going to win. Ever. I mean, apparently you can beat that thing. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> As no. you saw. Don't play the demo. Just, just play Final Fantasy VIII. That's all I'm begging of you guys. Play Final Fantasy VIII. It's such a good game. And Squall is great protagonist. And people shit on him and they shouldn't because he's great and wonderful. And I love him. I love Squall. Did I mention that I love Squall? <laughs> no, I don't think you did. All right. I want to mention that again. And I love Squall. Okay. And despite the Renoa is somewhat of a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I also love her. <laughs> I like how that was like the one thing. Like you Before I even played it, you were like, yeah, she's kind of a manic pixie dream girl. I was like, "Whoa, okay." She is. She is. I'm like, that's no denying it. But it was just like real startling when you like when you first like say that right off the gate before I even played the game. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Selfie is best girl. Yes, hundred percent. Um. Yeah, everybody's great. Final Fantasy VIII's great. Soundtrack's great. Story's great. Love story's great. Play Final Fantasy VIII. IGN ten out of ten. Um, I don't know. If that's true. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to them anyway. Just listen to me. IGN nine out of ten. Really? Seven point four on PC. Really? Really? Oh, I guess it has a sound. Well, it, that was like the original PC port, so or oh. maybe it was the new one. I don't know. Let me check. Uh, nope, from two thousand. So I don't know. Okay. Oh, well. Nine out of ten. Not bad. I give it a ten out of ten. IGN, best RPG of E3 1999. Heck yeah. IGN, the seventh best PlayStation game. Ever? Apparently ever. Hmm. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. Are we Final done? Final Fantasy VIII. Play it. Yeah, we're done. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, you can find more information about this very podcast and previous episodes at SeasonalAmbitCheckup.com or SAC.cool, where you can listen to us talk about other games like... I don't know. Final Fantasy Seven. That's one of them. Yeah, you can hear us fun. dunk on Final Fantasy Fifteen in multiple episodes. That's that's a trend. You can and Nomura. And Nomura. Um and then just other fun episodes as well. Uh you can find other cool things that I've written on that website as well. I wrote a thing about Mobile Suit Gundam the O eight MS team Miller's Report, which is a compilation film, uh, on there. So that's up there now. And you wanna find all Al and Ladium, you can find her at andladium.com and read all her cool stuff that she's written. I've written a lot of stuff lately. She's not, written a lot of stuff lately. Well, not lately, lately, but. But recently. 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 If you haven't read it, go do I it. Go do it. I'd appreciate that. That'd be nice. Go do it. <laughs> and then uh, next week we'll be doing something. Booyaka. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a way to announce that. <laughs> I don't know. That's what Selfie says. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing next week. I don't know we'll what I'm doing right now. We'll figure that out in the in the days to come. So yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed and uh, you know, go play Final Fantasy Eight. Play Final Fantasy Eight.